A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Guerrero. The 11 Olympic team members slain in West Germany. The Olympic Games. So geheist waren die Brüder in Amerika. Von Kaufen schaffen es es gibt Out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little. It is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geber. Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites, and this episode is dedicated in honor of the upcoming Jewish History Soundbites trip to the United States. I'm going to be uh, arriving in uh, in the New York area on July 26th. I'll be there for a week until August through August 1st. And there's going to be a, a special uh, open to the public um, guided tour of the Mount Judah uh, Cemetery, where it's a large concentration of Jewish history in Kivrei Tzadikim. Should be a very exciting tour. Open for all listeners of Jewish History Soundbites and beyond. It'll be Friday morning, July 29th at 9.30 a.m. That is Reish Chedesh Av. So it's a very appropriate day to uh, um, hear about um, the Kivrei Tzadikim there and the history that's there and the rich Jewish history that's there. Um, so that's uh, you can sign up for that on my website, yehudageber.com. Um, and sign up in first come first served, of course. Um, so hurry up and and uh, join us. I'm looking forward to meeting many of the listeners in person. I understand, like I mentioned on the last episode, that it is a weekend, and it's going to be inconvenient for many because many are up in the mountains. Um, so there is an option for another one. If you click on the, uh, you'll see on the website. You'll click on the other one. There's an option to open up a second tour. And if there's enough interest from the public, then I will do so. So um, that should be nice. I'm also going to be available for lectures. If you're a shul or your community or your bungalow colony or your camp or whatever it is, would like to have me for a lecture during the, the uh, nine days season um, when I'm in the United States. So I'm available for lecture. You can email me at Yehuda at Yehuda Gabber. Dot com. So, and I'll post uh, all these links and announcements um, on on the on the uh, on the Jewish History Soundbite social media, and I'll email it out so you'll be able to see it and register appropriately on my website yehudigeber.com. So, here we're going to also continue the series appropriate for Shavasa Batamas. Uh, to do instead of a, re- a regular, you know, in, in intervals between the Jewish saviors of the Holocaust 
um, series I was going to do uh, intervals of regular uh, episodes, but I felt like Shavasa Batamas, perhaps it's appropriate to continue this series. And another installment would be today. We'll talk about the escape from Sobibor, the Sobibor revolt. And this is also another reminder that there's lots of more exciting uh, episodes in this Jewish Saviors of the Holocaust series, where we're going to discuss stories of Jews saving Jews under Nazi occupation. And there are still sponsorships available uh, for those, uh, for several of those. So you can contact me regarding sponsorships in this series at, Yehudi, at yehudigaber.com. So send me an email if you'd like to sponsor. So to uh, get back to our topic here, um, the escape from Sobibor today is famous because there's been a movie made about it already in the 1980s and books written about it. But um, it, it, for many years, was uh, unknown, uh, and it is um, a. It was quite a large prisoner escape, um, and several of the, of the feedback I got from the last episode, we talked about the Novogrudic tunnel escape and the Bielski brothers, um, which was an incredible story. So, if you asked about what what happened in Sobibor, why was that different? And it is quite a different story and quite an interesting one. And it also is a story of Jews saving Jews. So I figured um, let's have a, the story of Sobibor as well. The Nazis in their plan and the final solution to carry out the extermination of Polish Jewry, it was all European Jewry, but the focus initially was on Poland because that's where uh, the largest Jewish population was. Keep in mind that of the 6 million Jews murdered by the Nazis in the Holocaust, so 50%, half, uh, 3 million Jews were Poles, Polish Jews. So there was a, it was, um, that was the largest uh, community that was completely wiped out. And, um, and to that end, they established, the Nazis established in eastern Poland, they built three, it's referred to as death camps, I, I, I prefer to call them death sites, because there weren't, they weren't much of a camp. They were relatively small. No one lived there. Um, and uh, the when when I and now they're just memorials. When when I go there with groups to Belgium, to Treblinka, to Sobibor. So when we're finished touring the memorial, and I speak a little bit, and they, you know, sing an imamin and say a kelmale and a kaddish. By the time we're done, it could be a couple of hours. And I point out to the groups that we were probably here longer than most of the victims were. Uh, so they came, they were brought in. There's no selectia at these camps. This is not a concentration camp. Um, there's no uniforms with stripes. There's no numbers. This is a death camp. Sobibor, Treblinka, and, and Belzhets. Uh, Sobibor was the smallest of the three. And um, a quarter of a million Jews were murdered there in the... Uh, year and a few months of its existence, year and a half or so of its existence. And um, and from the Lublin area, from Holland, a lot of Dutch Jews, 19 trains of Dutch Jews were brought and murdered at uh, Sobibor as well in the gas chambers. Um, and there was a few hundred Jews kept uh, in, the in the Operation Reinhard death camps in these three 
death camps that I mentioned, and they were kept to maintain the camp. They were sort of the Zunder commando. They maintained the gas chambers, they sorted the belongings, the suitcases, the clothing. Um, they had an awful job in an awful place in, in, in the, the worst place on earth in a, in a, in, in a death camp where the, the Nazi sadism came out in worse than in any other place. Um, and, uh, and, um, and here it was in, in this place that these few hundred Jews, there are 600 Jews in Sobibor who were kept to work in the camp. And on one hand, they're in Sobibor, they're in a place where no one comes out alive. A quarter of a million uh, are killed there in gas chambers and only 600 are kept alive just to maintain the camp and to sort the clothing and belongings, like I said. On the other hand, because of the nature of the camp, it's not a regular work camp, so they are uh, slightly better fed than the average concentration camp. And they also have are wearing civilian clothing. They're not wearing the striped uh, familiar from the pictures and the stories, the striped uh, in, camp inmate clothing. They also don't have numbers. They themselves are going to be killed at the end. So as soon as the transports stop coming, which eventually they did, so the last victims of the camp are going to be the workers in the camp themselves. So in this awful place, um, the, there arose this, this realization that, that as the, the transport slowed to a trickle because Operation Reinhardt, the extermination of Polish Jewry, was from the Nazis' perspective quite successful. And at some point in 1943, there were no Jews left to kill anymore in those areas of Poland. Dutch Jewry had been wiped out as well. But they brought them to Sobibor too. And now, and they heard, they heard through contacts in the Polish resistance, they heard that the, of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, they had heard about the revolt in Treblinka in August 1943. They heard that Belgians had been closed down. And now there's, they're the only one left. The only camp, the only death camp in eastern Poland is left is, is Sobibor. And they figure that they're going to be, they're going to be the, the next ones. And a group of them gathered together, and they decided that we're going to try to find some escape route. And they're led by a very young, charismatic individual, a fellow in his 30s, um, a guy named Leon Feldhendler. Leon Feldhendler came from an Orthodox home. His father was a rabbi of a town, of a small town in Poland. Um, the name escapes me, but it was some little shtetl um, that, that he grew up in, a from religious home. And he got these leadership skills that he used in the death camp for, from his father, from his parents' home, where he was a, a rav, a leader of a community. And here, um, he's somewhat trying to maintain a religious life. He led occasional prayers in the camp on occasion. Um, he inspired those around him, and he's looked up to as like a fatherly individual to those in the camp, um, who are living in a hell on earth, um, literally, who had seen all their relatives get killed, who had just seen transport after transport come into the camp, and knowing that they're, the, they're going to be eventually the last victims. And he decides, among his regular leaders, day-to-day leadership uh, skills, he's going to put together a group of minds in the camp who are going to try to figure out is the, if there's any way to get out of here. Now, you're talking about an incredibly hostile environment. Of course, several 
two or three uh, surrounded by, I think, three rows of barbed wire. Um, outside the perimeter of the barbed wire, they... There, there were not. It was not electrified barbed wire, which is an important point also in this uh, in this particular camp. But there was a minefield surrounding the camp. Was a minefield, so that anyone who escaped the camp would um, would bump into the minefield. The main reason why the Nazis placed the minefield there was to prevent outsiders from coming into the camp. It was anti-tank mines or anti-partisans. Uh, so no one should come into the camp, but it would also serve as anyone escaping would also bump into the mines as well. So they thought of um, they thought of several plans, perhaps a tunnel to dig a tunnel, similar to what we discussed in the Novogradic episode. That plan was nixed. The engineering wouldn't work out. They wouldn't be able to dig through. It was too sandy, um, and. Uh, and they thought of other ideas. Perhaps they would rush the fences, they would try to kill Nazis beforehand, they would encourage Nazi officers to come in, SS officers to come into the workshops, to come into the sorting sheds and to inspect the work, and then they would sneak behind them with an axe or a knife and stab a few, take their pistols, maybe steal some guns from the armory that the Nazis had in the, ca- had in the, in the camp on the side under lock and key, which is similar to what had happened at the Treblinka revolt. And, uh, and, they, they, and, then, and then they would rush the fences, and, and hopefully in the uh, guard towers, the Ukrainian uh, 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 guards of the camp wouldn't shoot at them too much um, if there would be no Nazi SS leadership uh, at that time, if, if they would succeed in killing enough SS officers before the breakout. That was ultimately the plan that they decided upon, and they just needed to work out the details and the logistics because they didn't really know what they were doing. And then Providence smiled upon them, upon Feldhendler and his crew, and a train rolls into the camp from the Minsk ghetto, and almost all trains, transports, uh, that had arrived in Sobibor, as in the other two camps in eastern Poland, the Reinhard camps, Treblinka and Belzec, had come from either Poland itself or from the west. And here it came from the east, from the Minsk ghetto, from the Soviet Union, from the Jews of the Soviet Union. And on in this in this train, in this transport, there were there were Jewish prisoners of war. Jewish Red Army Soviet prisoners of war who had been identified as Jews when they were captured in battle on the front, on the Eastern Front. And um, with men, it wasn't difficult to identify them as Jews. And they were separated from the regular Red Army prisoners of war. And they were brought to the Minsk ghetto because they're Jews. They have to be part of the final solution. And here they end up on the next transport to Sobibor, which was quite rare for the Minsk ghetto. Most Jews in Minsk were killed outside the city at Molitrastinets, which was a shooting site, like in most places in the Soviet Union. But it seems that after Stalingrad, there were some transports from the east to the death camps in Poland. Um, And here they arrive, and since the burly uh, prisoners, POWs, uh, could be put to work, so the, the, although most of the transport is sent straight to the gas chambers, as it always was in Sobibor, and places that were death camps, there was no real selectia. Um, but there were always a few that were taken 
um, to be shoemakers, to be uh, uh, you know sorters in the sheds, and, and working by you know working uh, for the Nazis and the little maintenance that had to be done in the camp, and they choose a, a group of of Jewish Soviet prisoners of war to join the prisoners. And they're led by a first lieutenant, an officer in the Red Army named Sasha Pachersky, who came from Rostov and was captured at the Battle of Smolensk. And he's wearing his Red Army officer's uniform and he's the leader of the group. And he's a Soviet Jew, completely assimilated, completely communist, no... No, you know, relation to observance, uh, Orthodox Jewish observance. And he eventually partners with Leon Feldhendler, the Polish Jew from a rabbinic Orthodox home. And these two unlikely partners come from two opposite ends of the Jewish world. They somehow find the common ground to not only organize and execute this revolt in, in a death camp, but they also managed to work together, in not only in their own best interest, but in the best interest of the, of the other prisoners in the camp. Because several of the ideas that they each had individually and collectively involved their, their respective groups of getting out. Pachersky of getting out with his fellow prisoners of war when they were brought to an area of the camp to work that uh, that they were able to that they would have been able to escape. In fact, uh, two of his Two of his people, two of Pachersky's people, other Jewish POWs, um, Soviet POWs, they they said, let's let's uh, let's let's get out here. We can, you know, the five of us, we can run away. We can get out. We can, you know, you know, tackle any guards that get in our way, and we'll be able to run away. And Pachersky says, what about the other prisoners here? What's going to happen to them? There's collective punishment. Anyone who escapes is going to be either be killed or has a chance of being killed, and why don't they deserve the freedom? So let's wait. We're going to you know, pass this up, up this opportunity to escape in order to create a more elaborate plan to help the others escape, and it's going to be a collective effort, and that everyone's going to have an equal chance of survival. And he and Feldhendler come up with this idea to uh, execute SS officers as they're coming into rooms to make inspections. They had smuggled axes from different parts of the camp and a whole uh, very, very sophisticated story of how they were able to carry this out. But one by one, they were able to do it. Now, originally, the escape had been planned for uh, October 13th. And, um, and uh, they, were, they had to call it off. October 13th, 1943. They had to call it off because it was, um, it was, uh, there was a, a, a whole group of SS officers who had come to visit the camp. There seemed to be too much security, too many SS. It would be suicidal to escape on a day like that. So they pushed it off another day. Now, the next day was Sukkot, October 14th, 1943. The day of the escape was the first day of Sukkot. In fact, a few days earlier, Feldhendler had organized the minion for Yom Kippur. So in the middle of a gas chambers camp, death camp in eastern Poland, when they're planning an escape and a revolt, they're also davening uh, in a minion on Yom Kippur, and in a, in a, in often in the middle, in a barracks secretly. And um, so a few days later is Sukkot. And they said, how can we escape on a Yantif? And they actually discussed it. 
And Pechersky, who has no relation to Jewish observance, he's like, you know, we, you know, the Nazis uh, killed Jews on their holidays so we can escape to freedom on our holiday. What's the big deal? And uh, Feldendler said, but there's, you know, Orthodox prisoners here and their, their sensitivity is... And eventually they decided that it would be life-threatening to push it off another day because too many people had found out about the escape and it would, the Nazis were going to hear about it if too many people were talking and just to hold it off another tw- you know, 24 or 48 hours would, would not work. So they decided they're going to escape on Sukkot. But that, the fact that it was even a discussion is almost mind-boggling. Um, in fact, on the day of the escape, uh, one of the more, more famous escapees who wrote at least two books that I know of about Sobibor and about the escape, he just passed away several years ago, one of the last survivors from uh, Sobibor, um, Thomas Blatt um, from Ishbitz. Um, so he, he described how he saw as, as they were breaking out of the camp, several prisoners ran to get their talesim. And they start to daven. They start to, in the middle of all these shootings and the minefield blowing up and people running away, these people have the presence of mind to get to get to to, to daven. That, that what's going on here? Could could be it was not presence of mind. Could be it was just panic. So it was either straight up panic that when you panic you default to your position as a religious Jew and daven, or it could be that they had the presence of mind that this is something we need to do now. I'm not sure what it was. It's actually more likely that it was a panic uh, reaction, but um, in any event, it just uh, you know talking about what's going on in this in this incredible situation. When uh, over the day of October fourteenth, they are able to get Nazis to come into to either on, into the workshops to try on a new pair of boots that they had ordered for themselves, or to try on a new jacket they had offered that they had ordered from the uh, from the tailor workshop in the camp, or to inspect the workers in one of the sorting sheds from a recent transport. And one by one, they get SS officers to come in and make inspections of these barracks, of these places, of these workshops, and. Uh, the, the Soviet prisoners of war would have, with the smuggled axes that they had, they would axe them in the head and take their pistols, and they started accumulating a few guns, and they're ready by mid-afternoon to break out. And um, and then Pechersky and Feldhandler, they jump on a table, and they announce to the prisoners that most of the SS are dead. They had killed 12 SS officers. Incredible event. I mean, they're able to murder, uh, to kill uh, twelve SS officers, and they said um, the everyone should make it for the fences. If anyone survives, make sure to tell the world what has happened here. In fact, one of my first trips to Poland, I was with my group, and we were by the Rappaport Memorial in Warsaw, the most famous Holocaust memorial in the world, and we met a another group who had a, a Sobibor survivor. Um, uh, his his uh, Philip uh, Bialovich, if I remember his name correctly, and he has subsequently passed away. There are no more uh, Sobibor survivors left in the world, um, but he told us that he remembers. I mean, it's a famous scene in the movie and in the book when you read about it. But w- he said he remembers Pachersky getting up on there and saying anyone who survives has a has an obligation to tell the world. What happened here in Sobibor? And he said he lives with that till, to the, till that day. 
Um, this is 10, 10, 10 years ago or so. And that's why he's been going around to schools and, and going with groups back to Poland and back to Sobibor and everywhere um, because he's trying to fulfill that obligation. And, um, and out of the 600 Jews who escaped, or who, were, who were in the camp on the day of the escape, 300 reached the forest. But unfortunately, most of them are killed in the coming days and weeks. Um, Nazis found them. They're turned in by local collaborators. Um, some, in some instances, they're even outright murdered by local collaborators um, for their money, for, for, for whatever, um, just out of anti-Semitism. Um, and um, fewer than 50 survived the war, uh, including Feldhendler and Pachersky and several of the other prominent leaders of the escape. Pachersky made it back across the front fighting with Russian partisans uh, that he found. He found the Soviet partisan unit, and as a Soviet officer, he was uh, accepted into the unit with his people, and eventually he rejoined the Red Army um, and survived the war, lived in Moscow until the end of his life. Um, and uh, Feldhendler lived in, lived in Lublin after liberation, and unfortunately, about a year, year or two after liberation, he was murdered by anti-Semitic Poles. This is after the war, after he had survived Sobibor, organized an escape from Sobibor, got out, settled in, you know, hidden, remained hidden until the end of the war, and then lives to see liberation. He starts a new business, lives in Lublin, and then gets murdered by anti-Semites, Poles, his neighbors after the war, a terrible, tragic ending. But others survived and ended up in the United States or in Israel, and, um, and uh, they were able to uh, live to tell the tale of what Sobibor was. So the, the, the story, I mean, the story is, is heroic, uh, of, a, of a death camp, a place where they witnessed the greatest crimes in human history, not a concentration camp. One of the main death camps of Operation Reinhardt to exterminate Polish Jewry, and within that, to be able to come to terms with the reality and confront it, to make a decision with strong leadership of Feldhendler and Pacharski and others who were involved, and to be able to execute it and carry it out, and to do it by by being concerned not only for their little group of elite uh, uh, members, either the Soviet POWs or Feldhendler's little group that he was involved with, but rather to be an, an all-inclusive uh, story for the entire uh, camp in Sobibor, um, and, that, and that enabled uh, close to 50 to be able to survive the war uh, against all odds, and 300 to be able to get out of the camp on the day of the escape. Um, the Nazis, of course, dismantle the camp afterwards and, and, uh, and, and plant trees there, you know, as if nothing existed. Today there's a memorial there, there's been excavations done by a team of archaeologists that has found all kinds of artifacts and the uh, foundation of the gas chamber. So today there's also a museum, it's, 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 there's a lot to see. Um, and there's quite a few books written on the topic by prominent survivors and researchers who have covered it. So that's the story of the escape from Sobibor and the Sobibor Revolt. This is Yehudi Geber of Jewish History Soundbites, and I'm looking forward to having more installments of the Jewish Saviors of the Holocaust 
series to dedicate an episode in that series, please contact me at Yehuda at YehudaGaber.com. We're looking forward to having on on Rmechol Ber Weissmandel and the working group. We're also going to have on several other uh, great uh, uh, in, uh, stories of Jews saving other Jews during the Holocaust. And um, I'm looking forward to meeting some listeners at the upcoming tour of the Mount Judah Cemetery on Friday, July 29th at 9.30 a.m. Register on my website, yehudigeber.com. And I'm going to be available for lectures as well, so you can email me at yehuda at yehudigeber.com. So for, um, you can register for Jewish History Soundbites on Podbean or your favorite podcast platform, and I hope you enjoyed it.